And I carried that into engineering in college and was going to go into computers, but then kind of got into robotics. But through all of that, I was still doing college radio. And again, that was like backdoor access to, hey, can I use the studio in the off hours? Can my band record our CD here in the summer when the station's technically shut down? And then that got me into, well, I'm on air talent now, which in college radio is, as Strongbed used to say, I can describe college radio in five words, dead air, um, dead air. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. Here's the first part of my conversation with Brian Richardson. My next guest is an engineer turned technical communicator, currently working as the security initiative lead for Intel's data center and AI marketing team. He also produces DIY videos from his farm in Oregon, hosts events and panels for DragonCon, one of the world's largest pop culture conventions, and is one of the co-founders of their in-house video team, commonly known as DragonCon TV. And he certainly has some interesting stories about that. But I know him best as the drummer and MC of the band Play It With Moxie that we've been performing in together for over 18 years at a small music convention in Atlanta. His name is Brian Richardson. And not only is he a very funny guy, he's also extremely knowledgeable when it comes to helping techies get better at communicating complicated ideas. His answer? Infomercials. I'll let him explain. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. If you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com, where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And if you're getting some value from listening, feel free to spread that around and share it with a friend, along with leaving an honest review. Both those things can really help, and I'd love to feature your review on future podcasts. You can leave one either in written or in voice format from the podcast's main page. I would so appreciate that. And now, here's my conversation with Brian Richardson. Hello. <laughs> it is really good to see you. And hey. it's been months. <laughs> it's been months. It's been mere months since you have crossed the border. We yes. smuggled you in with a bunch of maple syrup. Um, and, and yeah, it was fun. We had beer. a good time. Yeah. yeah. We, did, um, we did musical things. I've got a... a Dust is now gathering on all my my drums because I have I have not had time to You've to hit busy. things for I I've been hitting things like you know punching bags mostly but you know hitting things for the explicit purpose of getting a particular sound out of it I haven't done that in a while I need yeah. to work on that but you know hitting things can be therapeutic it can <laughs> so, as long as, long as, as, as you're getting in you're hitting of things <laughs> as long as the things consent to the violence I'm, yes. I'm okay with it you know precisely yes yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here with me today, Brian. I am really like, I'm very happy to have you here. I'm yeah. very glad about that. We've been working on this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about uh, it for a bit. Yes, definitely. So I like to start off these interviews by asking you if you have an early memory of how sound moved you. Yeah, I, you know, I guess we're going to go with the obvious thing, given some of the nerd collection on my desk. I <laughs> vividly remember seeing Star Wars at the age of five in a the theater. And I don't remember like the entire plot of the movie, but I remember like 
it moving me. And there's a, there's a whole element of like sound design in that, like the lightsaber noise will just forever kind of live in your brain once you've experienced it, even though it's, you know, just some sort of like weird thing that, um, that they did with like a projector motor or something, you know, yeah, down, yeah. screwed with it and reverb. But it's, it's one of those things. It was a once, fan, I think. Yeah. One, once you hear that particular <laughs> thing and, and get the sense memory of it, it kind of gives you an idea of what sound sound does. And then the second thing that really got me as a kid was listening to the radio. Um, I would play around with AM radio at night and try to get the farthest station. You know, once once I had a basic understanding of like, oh, some of these radio waves, you know, they just kind of bounce off the part of the ionosphere and just keep going. Um, so I'd sit there with like this little radio that I, one of the few things that I managed to take apart and put back together again as a kid that still worked after I put it back together. Um, that was not the case for some of my toys. My I, I'm impressed any of my, them did. My, yeah. my X-Wing <laughs> never made the fun noise after okay. I removed all the screws to see why it did that, but the radio did. And I would pick up like Chicago baseball games. Um, and I didn't know that I was supposed to have an emotional attachment to Chicago baseball or, you know, that emotional attachment was disappointment, but I could listen to the game. I could hear this kind of distance voice and that that kind of really, you know, at that age kind of clicked something over in my brain that I didn't really perceive until later in life when I started doing, you know, radio and podcasts and all this other nonsense. Yeah. So moving on from that, is that what got you into podcasts and Dragon Con TV and all of this interesting stuff? I mean, what yeah. was the progression? <laughs> it, it's never a linear step, no. right? Um, so what got me into to doing like radio and stuff was really when I got into to music. So I started playing drums when I was uh, 14. Um, I'd started playing clarinet a little bit earlier because the band director tricked my dad because it was the 80s when you still had saxophone and rock music and I wanted to be a sax player. And apparently so did every other kid who came into the woodwind section that year at Rosewood High or Rosewood Middle School. So the band director was like, somehow convinced my dad I was too small to have the breath control for um, playing the saxophone. And that's the line he gave to everybody to build out a full clarinet section. And when we showed up at the first day, we're like, hey, wait a minute. And then my clarinet mercifully broke the second year. Once we started getting into high notes, like or in all the marching music, the clarinet and I, like our love affair kind of ended. And then I just was like, well, I can't, I can't fail band. So I'm just going to go back on the one note I have consistently and just use it with sticks. Sorry to the audio engineer who's hearing this popping noise. It is me intentionally snapping to indicate that this is the only note I use from here on going forward. Yes. Um, I screwed up a cake cover once. That's how bad my vocal range is. So, and and I got into learning about like radio and sound through wanting, like I got to record these stupid drums in a band. And when I got to, uh, I went to a, a magnet school for science and mathematics, shock, um, and ended up kind of joining their version of NAV club, which was their in-house TV station. And that got me access to their audio equipment, but it also got me access to learning how to do video editing on tape and, you know, basic kind of story structure. And I was producing like music videos, like montage kind of stuff or doing like what the local equivalent of TV coverage was at a 500 person high school. And I carried that into engineering in college and was going to go into computers, but then kind of got into robotics. But through all of that, I was still doing college radio. 
And again, that was like backdoor access to, hey, can I use the studio in the off hours? Can my band record our CD here in the summer when the station's technically shut down? And then that got me into, well, I'm on air talent now, which in college radio is, as Strongbed used to say, I can describe college radio in five words, dead air, um, dead air. But I was I was that guy for a little while. Then I was the assistant engineer on college okay. radio. And That's then a good one. That, that, that got me into like, you know, when we started a college TV station in Clemson, um, you can see a theme starting here, that... Um, I was the on-air guy. It was like four engineers and we're like, well, we're going to use you because you're the engineer who like teaches labs and talks to humans. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm on-air talent now. And that got me into like public speaking. And when I, when I landed my first job out of college, I got into this kind of parallel track of I went from being a programmer into more technical marketing, like explaining demos you know, technical presentations, engineer to engineer kind of stuff, or engineer to engineering manager kind of stuff, helping the salespeople sell really weird firmware tools. Or when I go to DragonCon and volunteer over there, join the, like I went to a nerd convention, joined their AV club. This is what you're getting here. Essentially, yes. Right. It's a, <laughs> it's a continuing progression in my life sure. of that sort of thing. And I ended up there not starting out in front of the stage. I was doing everything backstage. And then as I started doing their video work, I became their kind of one of their on-air talent people, one of like their their interviewer on camera. Um, we started doing a morning show type of thing once we got the whole DragonCon TV operation up and running. It's a whole different story. But I ended up in this parallel track of like becoming sort of the the human to nerd interface, whether it was on the technical side of things or whether it was on the actual like stereotypical nerd side of things, the nerd culture part of, of things like Dragon Con or other like security conventions or or niche computer conventions. So that that was that was kind of my my technical explainer, professional generalist career sort of kicked off in those areas. Yeah, yeah. It seems like communication is a very, very big thing in this mm -hmm. whole progression. <laughs> Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio-branding-strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website. And I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. So maybe can you talk a little bit about that? Because it seems to be key in just about everything that you've done, communication. Yeah. And now you are, do you teach that? You actually um, like help people do that for the, for technical stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So um, my current job, I work for Intel. So this mm -hmm. is not my employer speaking. This is me. Always sure. have to say that. No product yes. is that blue secure, you know, offer void in Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but what I've ended up doing is I, 
Again, the area that I'm in, I do more pure marketing now, but not like the brand marketing. Like none of very few times my stuff ends da 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 dum, right? Like there are videos where I, I talk on camera, my face shows up, I talk about a technical concept and then tagline. But those are, are rarities. Most of what I do is I'm I'm usually coaching a technical person how to get an idea across to their peer or somebody above them who's going to make like a technical decision. Hopefully one that purchases something with my brand because, you know, I, I want to stop doing this at some point and play drums more. So if my stock price goes up, this is all good. I got more free time to talk to you and, and make jazz. Sure. <laughs> but in, in that area, what I'm doing is I'm not trying to 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 really coach people on things like speaking. I'm trying to coach them on how to get their ideas across. Um, we talk about like pivotal ideas. One thing that I, I realized later when I was doing, uh, I was a graduate lab assistant at Clemson. And I, when I was getting my master's degree, I was teaching a computer hardware course. And I discovered very quickly as the person grading all the lab reports that my students didn't know how to communicate. They, they would do a 12 page lab report for a three hour lab. Oh, my goodness. They had no concept of how to get there. Like they would try to bluff their way out of just they wouldn't just say, I don't know what we did or why we got the outcome. So I made a rule after I, I'd worked some co-op jobs for the Department of uh, Defense as a like civilian contract manager. And I'd worked at some like very like AT&T and, and Cryvac and some other small companies as like summer or like kind of quasi intern jobs. And I'd learned how to write memos. So I'm like, okay, here's a format for you to take. You have to write a memo, three to five paragraph format, beginning, middle, end. I was teaching them story structure and I was giving them a constraint. Like your story cannot be more than a page and it can't be less than three quarters of a page. You can't just write, I wrote code, code good, LED blink, but you can't also try to bluff me with this. So I was realizing that if you make, if you make a technical person too coach, too slick, you know, they start talking like this and they talk about the benefits and the product synergies. <laughs> Other technical oh, people boy. tune them out. Yeah. Right. But you need the structure of that style of communication. So I want you to be authentic, but I want you to format your ideas. So people will normally start coming to me and, and say, hey, you're doing a good job on this presentation. I want you to look at my slides. The perception in technical world is that your PowerPoint slides are what give you the presentation, right? Give me your slide so I can go give your presentation. And then their presentation is terrible. And they come back to me, they're like, your slides failed. I'm like, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't learn the structure. You didn't read the speaker notes. And what I ended up doing when people say, hey, I want you to come and fix my slides, I ended up fixing their story. And I was trying to figure out over time what that what that repeatable structure was, what when I would go to conferences and give a presentation or stay in a presentation because I liked it, what made me stick? And again, we, we talked a little bit about DragonCon TV. It's again, I went to a sci fi convention, started their AV club and and they put me in the basement. Like, this is not a joke. We were st the operation you really were in the, it's in the basement yes. of the Hyatt in Atlanta, yes. <laughs> right? Still is after I handed it off. Nice basement, though. Very good carpet, air conditioning. It's, it's lovely, but yeah, it's still a basement. Um, but when we were I never doing comment that, on carpets when it comes to hotels. <laughs> oh, uh, don't start that with the Dragon Con crowd. There's a cult. I know. There are I multiple know. cults. It's weird. That's a whole other podcast. Yes. Yes, it is. Welcome to Carpets with Jody. Uh, no, we're not doing that one today. But in, yeah. in this respect, um, we made a lot of parody commercials 
to go in between the panels of Dragon Con. You know, it's a long line. You get in the room half an hour early. You've got nothing to do. Cell phones just made calls back when we started Dragon Con TV. So we started making like, you know, fake commercials, fake news reports, uh, music video parodies. When we made the commercial, to make a thing, you must first deconstruct it. And infomercials are, are beautiful comedic parody because they're such exaggerated forms of of story, such exaggerated forms of the commercial. Oh, yes. That, like the woman who can't lift a pan. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then but then it turns out Flex Seal, very popular. I have I own several Flex Seal products. Um, they've gone on various roofs. It's just cheaper to re-roof the barn, by the way. Don't cover the whole roof in Flex Seal. Learn that lesson. But in those cases, people still buy the stuff. And then it made me think about like when we break these infomercials down. What is the what are we what are we parroting exactly? And that's where I started figuring out that the the best infomercials, if there is such a thing, and the best presentations were the same thing. So when you do technical communications, like if you're doing pure marketing, someone's going to tell you to read uh, start with why, or they're going to have you look at Andy Raskin, and he's got like these five principles. You always get these like two-hour coaching sessions on the eight-story structure. If you've taken five minutes of English, you've learned about Joseph Campbell and the Hero of a Thousand Faces, and he's got the seven-part story structure. And those are great for like TED Talks and pure marketing, and they are terrible for technical communications. And the reason why is that you don't want to tell a complete story with the technical communication, especially in a sales context, but also in a technical, like a bug report context. So if you go to like a security conference, like a Black Hat or RSA or B-Sides, you'll sit in a room and someone will tell you how they hacked a security camera and what you can do to prevent yourself from being hacked. Or I found this bug in a product and here's how I worked with companies X, Y, and Z to resolve it and, and go from like a, a problem to a solution. And this is what most people are looking for when they have like technical money to spend with a company, right? That I want to find a solution for this particular problem or you're going to inform me about a problem I've never heard of before and give me the next step. And that's exactly what an infomercial does. So the way I actually coach like, you know, highly paid people to give presentations is I show them infomercials and I break down the story structure. And this was weird because when I won, there's an age group that doesn't watch television with ads. And so I have to explain what an infomercial, like I have to explain what television is and then infomercial. And then wow. second- that's right. that's deconstruction, deconstructing deconstruction. <laughs> the second part, which is so strange, is that I've done this presentation internationally. So the last time I gave this presentation to a, a group outside of the U.S. was February 2020 in Poland. Oh. I was training our intern. Yeah, I was I was basically like ahead of the the COVID curve. Yeah. In uh, in in Europe. I was like watching hand sanitizer sell out at international airports and filling wow. out contact tracing forms that had been hastily made on on the copier five minutes before my plane landed in Gdansk. Scary stuff. It was, it was a fun week. Oh. So I stayed in my hotel a lot. So in that kind of instance, what I'm doing is, you know, I'm having to teach these people an, a weird American trope because infomercials do show up, but they're normally dubbed in another language on late night TV for people like me with jet lag in Japan to watch when I can't figure out what what day it is, much less what time. And so I broke the, the infomercial down into four structures, which I call fail, fix, learn and act. And hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll edit my own video that breaks it down a little bit more. 
Um, I hope you will share the link yes. to that video. And I, I will. This will come out probably months from now, so okay, you good. have I, plenty of time. Yeah. If, if, it's all yeah, good. <laughs> if they haven't edited this out, just, just imagine this conversation is organic and live. It really means a lot to me when you take the time to write a review of this show. So I want to take a moment to acknowledge and thank you when you do. Mike GMK writes, Secret weapon hidden in plain sight. I wish I had some power to put this cast in front of everyone who writes advertising. Most people who write it in the digital age are absolutely unaware of the power of sound and the spoken word. So along comes Jody with the most powerful communication tool there is, hidden in plain sight, the spoken word. And not just that, but proof, in episode after episode, of the power audio has to affect our very thoughts. What marketer or brand manager wouldn't want that? I've done sound design, scripting, production, and voice for radio, TV, and videos for, um, well, a good while. I'm now listening to every episode of this show. I'm learning new things about sound in nearly every show. For anyone in advertising, video, audiobooks, television, and whatever I've missed, this podcast is of great value. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm really glad you're getting value from the podcast, and I so appreciate the kind words. And now, back to the show. The infomercial basically breaks down into fail, fix, learn, and act. So those those are the four stages. And fail is the most famous part of an infomercial. It's no, you're about to go in for a ride. You're, you're in 28 seconds. Someone's going to say 1995 order now is when the screen goes black and white and someone fails at a basic task. I don't know how to do a blanket. Like lifting a pan. Yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> lift a pan. Uh, I require, you know, a knife to chop things. What What is this? The 15th century? Um you know, my roof is leaking, my boat has a hole in it, you know, whatever it is, it, the, the black and white part is fail. This is a clear definition of the problem. But you can deal with failure with fix, fix. Now the thing that deals with failure, now you transition to fix. This is a thing you didn't know existed, you know, three seconds ago. Now we're back in glorious Technicolor and fix will solve your problems. How does fix work? How do I fix? Fail, fix, learn. Learn is where you apply the product to the problem stated and learn about other problems it can solve. Not only will it allow you to lift a pan, it will also let you use less butter when you make eggs or removes the fat or whatever the thing is that it does. Okay, well, I have learned about how to fix the fail, but I don't have magic pan or one hand slicer or robe with sleeves. What do I do now? Act. Act is what we call in technical communications a call to action. Here's a clear thing that you should do next, and there is nothing after act because after act, it is their story. They are going to take what you have taught them and take it to the next level. So they are now finishing the story. So there's no like fail, fix and learn and act. You know, that's four parts of what most people put into a five to seven segment story structure. So. You know, like this would basically be getting up to the part of, you know, Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is about to get into the cockpit of the X-Wing, except now it's you and you're going to drive. And so that's that's how every infomercial that I've seen works. And it's an extremely flexible story structure, and it doesn't change the authenticity of the person giving it. So the same thing that I can use to sell you, a, you know, a $20 minus five cents um, hand chopper for onions 
is the same way that I've seen every good security presentation structured at something like a black hat. So fail. Hey, you know, the security camera, super vulnerable to hacking. Uh, fix. Okay, I figured out what's wrong with it, and I applied a patch. Learn. Here's how the patch works. Here are the exact steps of, I found the failure this way, and I have applied this fix, and I worked with the camera manufacturer, and they have now made the camera better. Act is, for this brand of camera, download the software. For your project, go to this open source project, download this, apply this thing. And now it's your job to take what I've taught you and make the industry more secure. So it's extremely versatile. And for people who do a lot of technical talks, like they have a canned presentation, um, if you do security conferences, for example, this is the thing I'm most involved in now, you will see the same speakers show up multiple places. And they normally have a, a fairly standard presentation they give, but the best speakers change the opening. So, and I, I've done this before. I have the same presentation for uh, network engineers as I do for firmware programmers back in the day on how systems booted over networks. And all I have to do is I have to change fail. That's it. Fix, learn, and act remain the same. Um, and I'll give you an example, and this is one you kind of inspired me on uh, because we, we talk about this commercial stuff all the time. Sure. The Snuggie. The oh, Snuggie yes. is the, the OG infomercial. The I remember almost, the Snuggie. <laughs> you're almost defining career moment, I believe. Um, right. So the Snuggie is not – and this is the weird thing about infomercials that people don't entirely understand is the Snuggie is not made for lazy people. The Snuggie is a, a ripoff of another product called a Slanket. And the Slanket was designed for people who literally couldn't stand up. It's for wheelchair users. A wheelchair user can't put on a bathrobe and will have mobility issues that make it hard for them to use a blanket. So they basically made the blanket with sleeves, the inverse bathrobe. And it's been marketed under different names since then. But if you take that example, and this is for you know a handicapped audience, somebody who has mobility impairments um, or other reasons why they can't get up and put on a robe, you take the fail part of the commercial and you change it. You change the tone of it, but you change the audience of it. Are you unable to work with standard clothing or blankets? Well, now we have this. And the rest of the commercial, for the most part, stays the same. So you can take this fail part, and depending on your audience, this is where you tailor the hook. So if it's a networking engineer, and I tell them, hey, you're booting over networks. Do you know that the thing that you were doing 20 years ago to boot over networks is hideously insecure? All right, now here's the modern way of doing it with certificates and HTTPS like we do with all the shoppings and the Amazons. We're good. If you're a firmware programmer, hey, this thing that you're doing, uh, that you're giving to customers, make sure you're enabling this feature that's more secure because they need it. The next three steps stay the same. So this allows someone to, to very quickly, like it's a sales position or a marketing position, your core product is going to remain the same. Your core offerings remain the same. Your core value, as we like to say. But get the other parts of that story structure set up, right? So that you can go into that pitch once you realize where your failure point is with that customer, because all their problems are roughly the same, but your product doesn't change that much. You can't just re-engineer it on the fly because the customer came in with a different angle. You can funnel them down to this product, which will still legitimately fix their needs. Like this isn't a snake oil kind of pitch. This doesn't justify terrible infomercials for bad products, <laughs> yeah. but it, it lets you apply the structure to the way you communicate. 
and, and give someone kind of an easy on-ramp because most of the time, most of your mid-level people trying to solve their problems, whether they're pitching to a, a, a colleague on something they want to do internally, get your idea across so it can get accepted, or you must turn product into money, either one of those, you've got to address you know, what is the problem the customer wants to solve. And, and that's what the infomercial does painfully well. It lets you solve it with some stuff that's probably garbage or probably really good product, but you need it to get to a point where I need, I need to hit a million of these so I can get factory discounts. And so I've got a, my audience is a hundred thousand cause it's specialized. So how do I get from a hundred thousand to a million? I expand the scope. I find more failures for this to fix. So that's that's kind of the the template that I use when I'm when I'm coaching people on how to get their ideas across. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And and I can see how it could be applied in a whole different bunch of ways for mm -hmm. pretty much anyone. You don't have to be technical or be talking to technical people. I think it's right. just a good way to get your point across. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. <laughs>